Get ready to be dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Days and Infused. Tonight, we're really happy to have Bill Rafferty here from the Wyatt Group International. And what Wyatt does is they do agricultural and manufacturing audits and bank uh, verifications. Sounds like real dry subject matter, but I assure you it's not, especially in the cannabis field. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Lathan? Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. And uh, just a full disclaimer here, Bill and I have known each other for a while and uh, he's a great guy and knows his stuff. And he's bringing a real interesting take to the cannabis business. Uh, Bill, what's your, um, first of all, what is your, we're going to start with the question I start with in every show. What's your historical background with cannabis? I know you kind of came to it late in your life. Well, why don't you tell the people at home how you came to cannabis? Uh, it's probably about uh, two to three years, and I came to cannabis actually through some relationships, one of which uh, introduced me to you, Latham, in the sense. Um, another was from some of the work that I was doing on the um, farm audit work. We started to see some need for grow audits as well as extraction, distillation audits, this sort of thing, where people were looking for more tightened up operations, as well as some adherence to to some existing guidelines, whether it be you know like the likes of Global Gap or OSHA or HACCP, these sorts of things. Uh, but historically, you're right. I came from the agriculture space. I uh, grew up in the Midwest in a farming community and spent my most of my career on the ag side, whether it be futures trading in New York or inspection and audit work in West Africa, South America, and Southeast Asia. Well. So, uh, being from the Midwest and uh, Missouri, uh, or Missouri, as you, you like to say, um, what is, uh, what's the reaction of the traditional farmers back there to you getting into cannabis? I mean, is it, are they poo-pooing it? Are they seeing that this is a real thing? Uh, no, I think they're seeing it as a real thing, uh, as the reality of it coming online in a number of other states. They see the value in it. You know, a lot of them look at it from the recreational side as well as the health and wellness. And I think there's there there it's getting a lot of traction in the Midwest. You know, it's and it's an area yeah. that's slow to make a change, but I think they're they're jumping on the bandwagon for sure. Well, I mean, one thing's for sure, and you notice you know this from uh, being in the commodities uh, sales side was uh, it's just another commodity. I've always said that about cannabis and hemp. It's just another commodity, and it's. Now that we're getting to that point where it's getting legal, it's like, why not? You're going to get into the, the pros are going to get into it and treat it as a commodity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and my brother actually set up a hemp growers association in the state and got the Department of Agriculture to fund a, a study for them on the hemp side. So that's cool. helped also propel uh, my interest and, and involvement there, for sure. Um, have you been a pot smoker for a while do you like imbibing occasionally or is that just uh something came to you later it's it later actually and i find that i find the um okay everybody likes the recreational side of it but i'm finding a lot of uh health benefits from it you know sleep 
Um, you know, brighter in the morning when I get up. Uh, I don't have the, you know, nothing wrong with alcohol, but I don't have the, the cobwebs that I might have had, <laughs> had, I had about six of uh, Latham's famous uh, margaritas. So <laughs> there you go. Sorry, Bill. Sorry for the cobwebs. Uh, so what are agricultural? Let's start with the agricultural audit. What exactly is it? And so the people at home can understand why it's necessary and why the people in the cannabis field should find it necessary as well. What, what is it? What's an agricultural audit? Well, for instance, it's a, you're looking at it from a set of operational standards or activities, you know, the prepping of the soil, what's in the soil, what type of fertilizer you're using? Are you having to use any pesticides? Right. Are we finding any like heavy metals in the soil? Because, you know, what you plant absorbs what's in the soil and you know as more and more people want to know what's in their food or what they consume it's imperative that we control and know and manage our supply chain and at the grow is a starting point and that's one of the toughest places to control it and to manage it and monitor it and you can create a better product if you put some guidelines in place and it's it's not rocket science and it's it's good for the industry and it's good for you as a consumer too. You're, you're getting something that's guaranteed to be a better product. Uh, you've got some oversight in it. And so it goes lockstep with um, most of the environmental movement and most of the sustainability movement. These things are linked together. That's why, I mean, the, the word audit is most notably associated with our friends at the IRS and that kind of thing, or a business audit. Um, and those are somewhat unpleasant things, but I, if I've understood what you've told me over the last year, these audits aren't just meant to like point out problems. They're to help the grower correct the problem, right? hundred percent. Don't look at audit as a bad word in this space. Look at it as a place for improvement, support, and helping to move that producer grower to the next level, the high, next level higher up the chain in terms of value add and quality product for sure. So you're definitely, you're a partner in the agricultural space. You're a partner to that grower to make what he's doing better. Correct. We don't just come in and audit. We want to come in. If we do an audit, we want to be there to support them through transition and also to help with training, point out some issues where they can tighten things up and make improvements. So we don't want to just come in and complain and point out the faults. We want to leave a place or leave it or build a client where they can reach back out to us if they have issues. And we are there to help them, you know, move the, move the chains as we call it, so to speak, you know, right on. So that's well, well said because people just don't understand what this means, you know, and as far as the, the cannabis user, whether that's on the medical or the recreational side, the most important thing about this audit is, um, with let, let's just take California for instance. I know that people all over the world listen to this podcast, but um, let's use California and the standards here. And that is, we have the Cat One, Cat Two, Cat Three testing, and Cat Three most notably is detecting heavy metals in um, right. in the plant. And as you rightfully said before, cannabis and hemp have a very very great ability to pull everything out of the soil. And hemp is, I mean, which is basically cannabis without the THC, um, is really well known as something that people plant to clear fields of, of problems. Is that right? That's correct. Actually, I was having a conversation with my younger brother today about the very subject. 
they were they had some people that had planted hemp on a piece of property where they found some heavy metals and uh, some traces of other chemicals that they wanted to, to rid the property of. So you're absolutely right. So, and that goes back to even, you know, when illicit growing was really um, the thing. I was talking to uh, uh, Big Mike um, the other day on another podcast, and we're talking about how in the past you would buy um, some weed and you'd get a headache from it. And they were using something that had cyanide in it as a pesticide. And it's a banned subject now, but people who are still in the illegal space, and this is what you have to understand too, the illegal space uh, for growing has no oversight, meaning you can use additives and pesticides, whatever you you want to get that huge yield out. And so that's why something like what Wyatt does here and Bill is so important to everyone as a consumer, because you get the assurance that the person you're buying from, that grower who's supplying not only flour, but maybe oils or extraction or flour to extraction facilities, that you've got this chain of custody that you can know and recognize and you know what they're doing, how they did it, and how they got to where they are so it's clean. And I, I think what you're doing is really cool. Um, you know, what I like to do um, when I get home at night, Bill, I sometimes like to have a little Nicky's. And uh, Lil Nicky's are available at dispensaries everywhere near you in three delicious variants, Indica, Sativa, and Hybrid. Um, low cost, well-made, always consistent. Look for Lil Nicky's at a dispensary near you. Um, hey, Bill, let's talk a little more about your personal background in the farming space. I mean, when you grew up, what were you guys farming? Uh, we've been in the same place in Midwest for about 120 years. And historically speaking, we had grown cotton, uh, alfalfa. Now it's mainly corn, wheat, soybeans, and rice. Um, a lot of that is irrigated. You know, we have a lot of erosion control that type of procedures and activities on our side. And, you know, when you talk sustainability, I mean, I think that that's, that hits it on the head right there, having been in the same place, farming the same land for that period of time. It says a lot for some of the practices that we've been carrying out generation to generation. And so I was excited to help to transfer some of these skills and these experiences to the cannabis space. Um, and you know, everything from soil prep, proper trimming procedures, irrigation, water disposal, uh, lighting, energy use, um, worker safety, air quality, um, all these sorts of things that just fold. It's just, you know, all of my past experience seems to fold right into this. And so it makes it a fun place to, a uh, fun place to be and, you know, really exciting and passionate about it. So let's talk a little bit about a controversial subject within the farming, um, you know, community. And that is the kind of the vilification of the, of the farmer, especially Midwest farmers by, um, activists saying, you know, it's always, you know, it's big ag coming in and doing this, doing this as Monsanto. And my experience is not only because growing up in Wyoming all my summers and, and being in California, which is a huge agricultural state, obviously right here, wine is everything to us in Northern California. Um, I don't, I've never seen this kind of disdain for the environment. And I'm glad you brought up your history at your land in Missouri, because 120 years is a long time 
that's three generations of people or more. And it also shows that, you know, practices have to be maintained. The Dust Bowl happened for a reason. The Dust Bowl happened due to not rotation of crops, not changing the crops in those fields, not doing proper practices for uh, maintaining and stewardship of the land. Um, what what's your take on that, Bill? I mean, within the the, the people who criticize big ag, I mean, obviously there's some bad actors out there. I'm not going to excuse everybody, but what's your take in in terms of a generalization? Well, I I hear a lot of this, and actually I'm in conversation with a lot of these people just so that I can try to defend or at least have my my two cents worth in there. Yeah, you're right. There are some bad eggs out there, like there are with anything. But I have to say that the American farmer, as well as and more so the California farmer is probably second to none in being responsible um, with their activities and how they take care of the, 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 you know, the soil and the environment and what they produce. Um, you know, there are some issues right now with some of the chemicals that are being uh, applied and those are under investigation and review. Um, we won't get into some political debate about it right now, but I will say that I would put the American farmer and the California farmer up against any in terms of responsible behavior and their desire to maintain the environment and their land because that's their source of living and they have to take care of that for sure. Yeah, and you've clearly seen this around the world. You've, I mean, just my own knowledge of you, you've been to West Africa a lot. You go to um, Eastern Europe. Um, you're a passable Russian speaker, I do know that. And uh, so you've been around the block. I mean, you've seen everything. Um, and it's been my experience too, especially um, in Wyoming, where you don't, you can't grow a lot, right? You grow a lot of hay, and uh, you know, different uh, feedstocks for animals. Um, you can do vegetables, but it's a very short growth season up there. And I've never seen anything but stellar kind of stewardship. And I think I see that a lot, especially in the artisanal space, like our friends at Charcy Farms, um, who've had on the show before up. Um, the Mendocino uh, County area. And these, these guys are amazing and they, they love the land. And I, I, I've always joked with my cannabis growing friends that, you know, uh, during harvest season and right before harvest, they become hermits. You know, you just don't see them because they're just so concerned on what can happen in literally in a day if they leave the farm, you know? Right. I think Latham, you come from a pretty substantial ag background yourself. So I think you're in a unique position, much more so than a lot of people in the business. And it's interesting to hear you say that and in a sense confirm a lot of the, you know, the some of the way, some of the ways that I feel about certain things. Um, but you're right. I mean, we all know that what we produce is going to be consumed by either a livestock or a person. So we want to make sure that it's as safe as possible, reduce any type of risk of a a problem, an outbreak, um, or any kind of longstanding uh, negative effect from the production there. So, absolutely. I want to take a little break here and announce a raffle we're having. It's a very Shuggies raffle, and we're going to be raffling off a gift card valued at $300. That's right, $300. Um, how does it work? Well, DM us, direct message, at that Shuggies feeling. That's A, the symbol, the at symbol, that Shuggies feeling um, a selfie of you with your dispensary receipt for your Shuggies and get entered into our raffle immediately. There's one submission per person. 
winner will be announced live on Instagram Live on March 3rd and will be announced. So uh, go and follow us at that Shuggies Feeling, at that Shuggies Feeling on Instagram. And don't miss out on this amazing prize. We will be doing this a lot. Um, this goes in hand in hand with the launch of the Home Baker Bag, which is coming out or has come out. And now we've been overwhelmed with orders and now we're getting more of those on the shelves. That's eight ounces of delicious unrefined sugar with a 100 milligrams of THC. Easy to add to any recipe you get at the grocery store and certainly easy to use on a day-to-day -day basis. It does include a handy scoop for you to use so you can use it at home as you like. So look for our raffle at that Shuggies Feeling. It's $300 and it will be announced live on Instagram Live on March 3rd. Well, Bill, sorry for that interlude there, but I had to get that out of the way. I'm going to raffle myself there. I'm going to get there. You go. Send me your receipt, man. Um, is do you, how far behind is the cannabis industry in terms of standards and practices? Um, obviously, it's kind of been forced forced upon us because of the the different testing we have to go to before coming to market. But and obviously, I think that's a good thing. But how far do you think we are behind just general ag in terms of standards and practices? Well, I, I don't want to necessarily say that they're behind just due to the fact that we have this legal limbo here. So I think the states that are legal are working really hard to put standards in place. But yes, as a commodity, as a as a consumable product, as a we definitely are the the industry is behind. But there are a lot of smart people who are getting involved from the standard side, from other from other you know commodities or industries who are providing a lot of great insight in, and input into this, where you have groups coming together to build standards. They're adapting existing standards, you know, like you have the global gap. Well, there is a, you know, you got the US Hemp Authority, you've got the global gap in which you're, they're trying to tailor or adjust a standard to fit the cannabis space, you know, because you also you have to look at, you got outdoor grow, you got mm -hmm. greenhouse, then you got indoor. So you have three, at least three different variants of grow. So each of those will have some differences in terms of a standard. Um, the, but to answer your question, yes, the industry is behind, but, but I'm pretty, uh, pretty confident that they're going to pick. I mean, this industry is growing in leaps and bounds. And so are the people involved who realize that proper standards in place and groups to provide a structure for this industry will be good for everyone and lift the lift the industry up as part of your like overarching approach to uh, what you do too are, are there plans to like do genus and species tracing as well and trace um individual types of uh indica sativa out there and and different uh, strains of hemp you have any plans to do that we have I, from my past work experience, I have relationships with some DNA labs. And so uh -huh. absolutely, we do, we do know that people want this they and do. industry needs it. And so we are prepared and have the relationships in place to, to do this work for clients. I mean, yeah, they're right. Yeah, now. yeah. I think, I think you met Holden Jagger. I'm not really sure, but he, um, one evening when we were out, um, in Los oh, yeah. Angeles, and he, he was talking about this, and I've talked to him uh, on numerous occasions about this with his sister, and about how important this thing is. And before COVID hit, we were working on Project Terroir, a, 
a project I've discussed with you about, you know, tracing um, the farmer and actually identifying the farmer and the terroir, meaning the territory that the the plant is grown in and identifying those. Now, I know that Humboldt County now, I believe, and I think Mendocino and Lake County are part of this. And I think Yolo maybe too. I'm not really sure. But the they these guys have done their, um, what is it called? Uh, their terroir category. It's called um, in the wine business. It. You're talking about mapping the, the, the yeah. region? Okay. Mapping and then giving it the, the, um, the name for it. I can't read it. run off the top of my head. I can't think about it, but it's like the same thing the wine groups are using. So you're going to identify your grow uh, with a, a local area and it'll be identified. So like, like your wine says, you know, proudly grown in Sonoma, California is proudly made in Lake County or something. It'll say made in Humboldt. And that will mean something on uh, denomination or whatever they call it. Um, and it will be an identifier. So I think along the lines of the DNA testing and tracking what the actual, um, the genus of that, that actual plant is saying, this is an, an indica, this is a sativa, this is a true hybrid. I think that's really important. I think people are really going to get behind that kind of effort. I think, I think it would be a very commercially viable thing kind of project. Absolutely. We're lurk, looking and working on an origin verification because just like you said, Humboldt County could have a yeah. premium. It's like other, other origin. Yes. You have other other commodities and crops such as cotton, cocoa, coffee, sugar, where you do, you, they do the same thing and they sell on origin and they sell on types. And so I can see that the cannabis space could or sh and should be utilizing this practice as they, as the industry gets um, more competent to put something like this in place with groups such as ours, because we can, we're working on a program to start doing this work. And, and it also, it just helps to a, let the consumer know that they have the capability to pinpoint a place or a location or a variety that they would like to purchase versus going into a dispensary blind uh, and just picking up whatever's there. Not to say that any of it's bad or good, but it's just if, if they have a, you know, a leaning towards a, a Humboldt versus a Santa Barbara or whatever, then it should be there. And and, you, and we ought to be able to trace trace it back. I mean, we're tracing food all the way back. We're tracing fish all the way back. We can definitely be tracing cannabis all the way back to the farm. You know, um, I took some of your knowledge base and I was uh, talking to a friend of mine in San Diego recently, uh, Dane Henderson from NFU Media, and um, he is doing a coffee product out of uh, Africa, West Africa, and he had very small beans. And I said, oh, uh, that's a that's a number one screen. And he goes, what? How do you know that? And I go, <laughs> I said, because this is a very high quality coffee bean. I can tell it's so tiny, it's little beautiful beans. He's like, dude, that is so cool. You knew that. <laughs> That's good. Not some shitty number three screen. Add a little street cred to you there. There you go. <laughs> Talking my coffee game. <laughs> but um, so um, let's talk about another thing. Uh, so if you're a grower out there and you're listening to this show, um, one thing I think that you do that is really um, a cool thing is called bank verification, verification right? Correct. Um, <laughs> operational verification. <clears throat> uh, for instance, uh, if a bank comes to us and uh, they have their banking a couple grows or an extraction facility, they will hire us to go verify the operation. We will go 
do an audit of, you know, can take whatever the time it takes and usually normally a day or part of a day where we will go and verify the operational activity of that grow and then report back to the bank because the, as <clears throat> the banking industry becomes more and more involved in this, they're going to have to, they're going to need additional oversight and we can provide that operational verification to them because we have the ex experience and expertise in it where, you know, a lot of the banks don't necessarily have a cannabis expert in house yet. So we provide that service, help keep their costs down, but also you provide, you know, you can verify the, the validity of the activity. And that means also for manufacturing facilities that you may be doing an audit on for best practices for manufacturing, like a level six or seven um, kitchen, seven, six N or seven N kitchen that, you know, these guys are doing volatile extraction. You got to make sure your safety standards and practices are intact. I know that the state has some oversight on that, especially the CDPH, but that's going to be merged into the BCC. Uh, I think as we're speaking, that's, that is occurring um, for one oversight group. But the, the bank needs to know what the bank needs to know to make sure that their assets are there and your assets are there so that, um, you know, you're a good risk. And I think, I know a lot of people don't like um, talking about this because they're like, well, I don't want the bank in my business. Well, I've been a manufacturer a long time and the bank's going to be in your business. And that's just how that is because I'm sure in ag, it's the same way, man, right? Absolutely. And there's another piece to this puzzle as well. The shareholders of the banks want to know that the practices of that grow or that extraction or manufacturing facility are being carried out in a sustainable manner. This right. is like any kind of in any ag bank or commodity bank. Now the shareholders want to know is that dairy operation oper operating sustainable practices, um, you know, animal welfare or uh, sustainable practices in the in the procurement and the, the production of cocoa or coffee if they're banking some coffee or cocoa people. So yes, it's absolutely to verify that the, that the practices that are taking place are what the client says, as well as keeping them within a sustainable guidelines. So um, are there any other things that people like in just from your point of view, I know that why it's coming out of the gate with this product and you've got some audits already. Um, but what can people do on the consumer side to protect themselves, not only in cannabis, let's start with cannabis, but let's go downline and just give people general advice about uh, maybe certifications that they can look for on packaging for consumer goods. But how about in terms of cannabis, what we, what should people be looking for if you have anything in particular? Well, that's the interesting part. We're, you know, we're now it's coming online, but the, there, there are no, formal standards look we're looking at gmp good manufacturing practices gap good agriculture practices you're also looking at in california looking at uh cal can osha which is of course the government um for inspections um you know one thing i can say that if a client looks at a product and they're not sure about it if they if they have the label if they have the website they're more than welcome to contact us we can do a little quick review for them. It's not, I mean, look, it's not like we're looking to pick up business. We can do a lot of stuff. We can help people out. If they have questions, it's no charge. Just call me. We can talk about it for I've, sure. I've noticed that about you, Bill. You were on the phone more than any human being I've ever seen in my life. Um, you've always got another call coming in day or night. Um, and I have seen you give a lot of free advice to people. So I don't, uh, if you're listening to this, take them up on it. If you have any questions about your sourcing and definitely if you're on the retail side, 
and you have received product that you think is not what it is represented to be. I think um, a group like Wyatt and Bill are, are a good place to use as reference points. And they're your ally. They're not, um, they're not working against you. And that's, I think, we go back to that audit word, um, how that has bad connotations. And so you, the people in the retail space and the growing space, you have to start looking at people who are in this um, verification audit business as your your partner in your agricultural endeavor. So I, I think um, do look them up. So um, let me see, we're at that point here, Bill, that I'd like to talk to you about the subject that's always on everybody's mind. I'd like to hear a stony story from you, Bill. If you've got one about a friend or relative, they don't have to be named or it could be yourself, but I don't want to know if you want to indict yourself too much. Um, uh, something that has uh, gotten in cannabis and gotten into their system and perhaps they did something silly or fun. You got a story for us? Yeah, yeah this is kind of funny. Um, this was a few years ago. We were up in uh, Vancouver and we were driving over to Whistler. And we came across this place called, I think it was called like 99 Chicken Taco okay. or something. And so we roll in there and it's Dawn of the Dead. You know, the, all the the Latin skeleton little um, figurines. And oh, so yeah. we had stopped in a shop earlier that day and a young fellow said, oh, these little green pills are nothing. It's just ground. It's just pulverized cannabis. I take them before I go to work. We're like, well, this guy weighs about 120. We can do that. So we probably pop on in and get on the get on the road. Well, I'm going about 45 miles an hour about an hour later. So you know what state I'm in. But we roll into the restaurant, and my buddy who's with us, he gets confused about wanting tacos or burritos. So he orders instead of three tacos, three burrito meals so <laughs> what <laughs> it's his tray shows up or his three trays show up and he has this bewildered look on his face as to what he's supposed to do with this mound of food um but um but we made it through we uh, no, i'm sure i'm sure it. you did <laughs> a little fatter but you made it through true <laughs> um so how can people get in touch with you bill at wyatt uh, you can send me an email or go to the website. Uh, the email is uh, bill.ra, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, E-T-Y, at Wyatt Group, that's W-Y-A-T-T, group.co, not com, but .co, C-O. Okay. Um, and or they can ring me up on the phone, whichever works best for them. They can ring me at... Uh, 573-427-9737. That's 573-427-9737. And as I said, we want to educate people. We want to support the industry. And we're here to, you know, be a part of it. All right. Sounds good. Well, as usual, this podcast is brought to you by Shuggies, the sweet, sweet Take Anywhere Treat. Find us at www.shuggies.com. That's S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S.com. Now we have the home baker back, and we have finally um, gotten to the end of our R&D. Stevia is right around the corner. Look for it in January 2021. If you have been into a dispensary and you are a diabetic or you have sugar intolerance issues, 
uh, and you look at all the edibles and you get pissed off every time you go into a dispensary, well, we got your solution because Shuggies, um, Stevie, it's a little different. We do mix it with a little agave inland fiber, which is also USDA certified organic. It gives it a little more body and it's not quite as sweet as the Stevie you get in your packets at the restaurant or store. And it's a very nice, delightful little dose of 10 milligrams per scoop. Uh, large scoop. Now, if you want to go microdose, we are engineering this product to be 2.5 milligrams in the smaller scoop. So um, that gives you a lot of flexibility. And now you can participate in the edible sphere. Uh, so Bill, it's been a great pleasure having you uh, not only as a friend, but uh, here on the show tonight. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of feedback and some calls because um, what you're doing is good, valuable work for people, not on the consumer side, the commercial side, and the growing side, but um, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And I hope uh, and pray that you have great luck in 2021. Thank you, Latham, and good luck with the Stevia. I can't wait to try it, as well as continue using Shuggies regularly. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Bill. And we'll see you soon here on Days and Infused. You have a great one and have a great 2021. Happy New Year to everyone. Take care. Happy. Bye-bye. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.